Hi, and welcome to the Digital EDU Dialogues podcast, where we talk about what's trending in higher education issues and offer some practical solutions. I am Angela Britcher, and today Julie Shore is joining me. Welcome, Julie. Hi, Angela. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> we are so happy to have you because Julie is the president and founder of Career Development Advisors, a human resources firm which serves clients in more than 20 industries around the U.S. and the globe. And we are in that time where so many people are thinking about career transitions. And in our work at Professor Services, we work with people that are actively seeking tra career transitions. So we are so glad that you are joining us today. And we're gonna talk about all of that, about the work that you do in career development, helping people with transitions, coming up with a plan. And we're gonna talk about it from two different perspectives. First, the idea of uh, the adults that we work with and people that are managing those transitions in you know throughout their lives. And I also wanna talk about how you work with students because you have been really helpful to many of my students. So well, thank you. Yes. Let's start by talking a little bit more about you and tell us about career development advisors and the work that you do with organizations and with people. Sure. So I started, well, let me back up. I had my own first kind of core HR consulting firm since 2010, but really niched into the space of career development kind of right before the pandemic. Who, who knew, right? right. Um, in right. fall of 20, actually summer of 2019, I have always had this just natural draw towards helping folks with their career. And so my HR background certainly lent itself to that. And, and some of what we'll talk about later is, you know, in order to further your career, you have to let go of some things. And I had to heed my own advice and let go of some of those things, which we'll talk about later. But yes, my firm is very niched in all things career development. So I do retained recruiting work with small businesses and nonprofits, career development work with teams using the Colby program, which I'm certified in. And then I do career coaching with individuals ranging from high school age all the way through 70 somethings, you know, trying to figure out or 80 somethings, you know, what their next act is going to look like and if they're ready to retire or not. Um, and then in that career coaching space, I'm also a corporate, what we call career transition or outplacement provider. So if an organization is going to lay off one person, multiple people, I provide that support as well. Fantastic. So you are helping all kinds of people in all different phases of their lives and their careers that they uh, make these transitions and changes. And I'm wondering if you could share, you shared this with me before, the, the statistic that you have on how many careers and jobs we can expect to have. Sure. Uh, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, and it hasn't changed for a while, I feel like that stat came out in like 2014. I looked recently and it's not changed much, is on average three to five careers, so not jobs, three to five careers in a lifetime, and on average nine to 11 jobs. Now, the funny thing about that nine to 11 job mark is, I think statistically, the majority of those tend to be in our early, up until our early 20s. So you being a professor certainly can appreciate with your students. And I know with my own kids, they've had to make a couple job changes just due to their schedule and employers not being flexible. So yes, three to five careers in a lifetime, nine to 11 jobs. And a lot of the folks I coach in that kind of mid to senior level, it's like giving themselves permission to make that change when in reality, it's like, oh gosh, you're kind of behind if you've only done one thing so far. So I love that perspective because as someone who has made career transitions, um, 
that idea that it can be exciting, that it's not, oh, I'm getting laid off, I have to figure the next thing out, or oh, I have to do it. It's, could you talk a little bit more about um, the idea that it's it's exciting for people and people are looking for what's next? Yeah, I think, and I, while I'm not in higher education, I am a fan of always learning. I'm a firm believer. You can glean something from everybody you speak with, even doing this podcast with you today, Angela, something you read, um, that, you know, it gets you to think differently. And unfortunately, too many of us tell ourselves these negative stories, and that just progresses. Again, you're in education. The older we get, um, it's like we tell ourselves these negative stories like, oh, but working over here can't be better, could it? And, you know, it's just willing to take that chance. And then we tend to just sort of stay in our lane and only do what's comfortable for us. Um, so it, it is hard, but I really love hearing everybody's individual story and helping them figure out, all right, what are your talents that you want to use next? And and it's really a big, I know there's lots of buzz around mindset, but it's a huge mindset issue when you're in job search mode. It's like, Oh, I wonder if the next person I talk to will have the job I want. And you have to kind of flip that mindset to, hmm, I'm going to see if this would really be a good fit. And I'd love to meet someone new and have a conversation. So I do a lot of work um, in that space as well with mm -hmm. that adjusting how we're thinking about work and careers. Huge. Yes. And talk about that, the Colby method, because you and I've talked a little bit about that and about that idea. You use the word talents. You know, how do we? How do we take those talents and skills we have and use those to find what's next? Yes. So throughout our careers, mine included in college, um, and this is not a knock on counselors by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, most folks are accustomed to taking um, either interest surveys of some kind, which are great, or personality tests. So we're all familiar. Well, many of us are with Myers-Briggs. I know. I don't know if you've taken that, Angela. I took it a few times. Yeah. Mine have <laughs> you know, changed. I've actually wobbled from an E to an I from time to time, <laughs> uh, depending on the situation, um, the disc, the strength finders, those are all wonderful. Mm -hmm. But Colby is the only tool out there that assesses your innate way in which you take purposeful action. So the theory that's behind it, that's valid and reliable is that you are born with these innate instincts in terms of how you take action um, when you're striving or focusing or working. And so that's the missing piece um, that most people aren't aware of, especially when it comes to a workplace. So I use that with all my career clients. There's an application that starts with, there's actually one for children, but I'm certified in the youth tool, which is age 13 to roughly 21 till they get some work experience. And then once an individual has work experience, we do the Colby A index, it's called. And it can very quickly help me steer clients not only necessarily in the type of work, but the environment and type of boss. So some of us thrive in no two days are alike and work awesome under pressure. And some of us, that's like our worst nightmare. And so there could be, I'm trying to think of an example, um, even somebody in, well, marketing and sales are, is usually fast paced, but some folks need a smaller, more predictable environment. And some folks will thrive and flourish in that ever evolving or smaller sector type of environment and vice versa. If I have someone mm -hmm. who's super creative and can't have two, any two days alike and they're stuck being told stay in their lane all day, they're not happy with their jobs. Mm -hmm. So I love this idea that we're thinking instead of just like the career path and here's the job application that I found online and I just need to send out hundred applications to get an interview. Uh, talk, I, share a little bit more about 
how you help people get from that mindset into like use the Colby tools to say, all right, so instead of just sending out a hundred applications, we're going to work this way to find the next thing. Right. And if I can back up even one step further. So most people will come to me on the career coaching side saying, I need a resume. And I actually do not work with people only on resumes. It's in a rare occasion because mm -hmm. I need people to back up a moment and really assess what do they want? What are their values? What are their, their cognitive talents that the Colby assesses? Because otherwise, I always tell people it's kind of like building a house. You can't slap the roof on before you pour the foundation, frame out the walls, put in the windows. And that's essentially when people are just blindly applying to jobs in pretty much any industry, mm -hmm. you know, and hearing crickets, they think, oh, it must be my resume. It could be. But the statistic is that 70 to 80 percent of jobs, even through COVID, are found through networking versus those cold applications. And there are more than I should look at a recent count, but more than 250 applicant tracking systems, which are those very tedious systems you have to upload your applications to on the market. And, you know toss that in with no two recruiting processes <laughs> are alike and there's a lot of subjectivity. So it's no wonder people feel like they're just stuck in this hamster wheel. And so the Colby is one of the tools, um, one of, I would say probably the hallmarks I've developed sort of a 12 step process. I walk people through Angela when they're, you know, have some work experience and trying to figure out what's next for them either, you know, kind of behind the scenes or more actively. Um, but one of them is assessing their core values because what matters to you when you're 22 versus 35 versus 45 versus 75 is very different. And if you go to market with that same resume and you're just uploading and you haven't really thought about it, it the person on the other side is going to actually pick up on that. And so mm -hmm. you have to be really clear on your value proposition before mm -hmm. you it and just... Mm -hmm throw your resume out there, especially when you're kind of thinking about shifting gears or maybe shifting industries. Yeah. And I'm thinking about, especially the older we get, I think when we're younger and it's just, I got to go and I got to try some things. You know, when I think about my students and I often encourage them like, go try it on, try it on yeah. for a little while. But yeah. as we get older and more mature in our careers, it's, we have options and yes. we get to say, like you said, we get to say, no, where do I want to be? So what a wonderful tool to assess that. You also talked about networking and uh, let's talk, let's talk a little bit more about that. You and I talked about this on your right. podcast recently about this importance of yep. networking. Yes. And so, yes, share what, what do you share with your clients about the importance of networking? Cause I know, you know, again, you and I've talked about this a little bit. People are a little afraid of it. And I think especially mm -hmm. in higher ed, I see this a lot. It's like, oh, well, I mean, I can't go on social media to promote myself or engage. <laughs> so talk about that. Right. Yeah. I always try to, you know, outside of folks in the sales and business development and marketing, I'll say sales and business development. They're like, <laughs> sure. I'm like, I have to hold them back. You know, they're ready to go. That That's natural for them. A lot of them. Right. But I always ask people, you know, what's your comfort level with networking, like on a scale from one to 10? And most people are like down in the four or five range. And so what mm -hmm. I try to do is break it down to help them in a way that's comfortable for them. And knowing their Colby index helps me with that as well. And, and for marketing reasons, I can't get into the super nitty gritty on the Colby, but um, there's more information on my website. But, but anyway, in terms of the networking, I try to break it down in a way that's comfortable for them. It doesn't mean you know, go to a chamber event and, you know, excuse the language, but sort of vomit business cards. It, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean you have to go into a cold room. 
Um, in fact, here's my plug for networking right now. It's what, December 8th. And this is one of the best times of year to have conversation. That's, that's all it is. And here again, is that mindset thing, Angela, you know, when people, you know, so that 70 to 80% mark is still hold, holds true for how jobs are found. You know, if you go into networking thinking, oh, is this person going to have the job for me? You're almost going to always be set up to fail. Rather think of it as, yeah, what can I learn? As I just mentioned, you know, what can I glean from this particular person? And so I help people break it down. Everything from, yes, the only social media I'm, I'm pretty, I don't know if pushy is the right word or persuasive to get people to use this. <laughs> Um, I get it. I was a holdout on Facebook till mm, maybe like five years ago. I was a late joiner because I, in my profession in HR, it was just sort of a nightmare at the time. I was like, nope. Um, but for my business, I had to learn to get over it and just do it in a way that's authentic for me. And so same thing with LinkedIn and, and networking is, you know, statistically, it's probably higher than this. I used to do LinkedIn webinars. I'm going to say it's like 93 to 96% of recruiters are on LinkedIn. I know myself when I do retained recruiting work, I spend, or if I, when I have a recruiter helping me, we we are data mining in LinkedIn and perusing. So, you know, I always tell job seekers that's a networking tool that works for you while you're sleeping. So mm -hmm. you, know, you don't even have to do much. Um, certainly there are ways to engage uh, for sure. But but in terms of networking and, and before our time here today, I was reflecting on okay, what do I practice? You know, do I practice what I preach with, with the folks I coach? And I look back on my kind of four or five core jobs before I was working for myself. And only one of them was a job posting. The rest were all networked opportunities. And the one I remember was I was set up to do an informational interview. And literally the day before someone resigned and he didn't even tell me, like I'm sitting with the VP of HR and he's like, oh, well, I know this was an informational interview, but someone resigned yesterday. Do you want to interview? And I was kind of like, uh, like no advance notice. So, um, Not prepared. Got, well, yeah, uh, good, bad or indifferent. So I did get that job, but all the others were networked opportunities. And so the minute, uh, and that's usually when I start working with folks is they feel stuck because they're trying to be that follow the rule person, apply, apply, apply and hearing nothing. The minute you integrate some sort of regular steady conversation, informational interviews, our Part of networking as well, the wheels start turning because this person thinks of that person who thinks of that person. And in this digital age, which can be great, it can also be overwhelming, right? Like you and your jobs, me and my, it's like, how do you cut through the noise? Mm -hmm. But I know if someone gets in front of me for a request, like, oh, Julie, I'm like, oh, yes, I'd love to help you. But, you know, you were just buried in my 99, you know, unread emails right now. And I'm so sorry. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that networking piece is huge to job search success, especially when you're not what I'll say sort of hair on fire looking for a job. Like it's a great practice to integrate. So you do get comfortable and it's not seeming like, oh, I have to hurry up and speed date because I need a job. Right. Yeah. These are such great ideas. Like I, you keep saying it's about having conversations. I think that's what's so important when we think about networking. It's not the business card vomit. It's not, I have to post something relevant and meaningful on social media every day. It's about those connections and conversations. I think that's how we got reacquainted, right? So mm -hmm. Julie and I went to high school together 30 years ago and reconnected because of your presence on LinkedIn, right? 
And because you were offering such valuable information and it was easy to reach out and have a conversation. So, wow, my students are asking for what you're offering. Let's have a conversation. And this has led to all of this really fun work that we get to do, as well as how much uh, my students appreciate you as well. So with that, we're going to take a 30 second break and we're going to come back and we're going to talk more about how you work with students and families and some of the work that you have done with my students that I am so grateful for and that I know they are as well. So we'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by Professor Services. Looking for a job in teaching? Need to expand your network? Want to boost your income? Whatever it is, the expert team at Professor Services has you covered. From helping higher ed faculty find new jobs, to essential tools such as cover letters and CVs, to applying to jobs for you, Professor Services equips you to nail your job search. Don't stress over the job hunt. Maximize your potential and crush your next opportunity with support from our team of experienced administrators, mentors, and educators. Discover how the team at Professor Services can help. Visit ProfessorServices.com today to get started and kickstart your career in higher education. I am Angela Britcher, and I'm back with Julie Shore, the president and founder of Career Development Advisors. And we are going to switch gears just a little bit because there's a lot of commonalities between working with college students and the high school students and families you work with, as well as those transitions for adults. So talk a little bit about that aspect of the work that you do. Sure. Well, being a college professor, you certainly can appreciate, and I'm sure here, right, in the nature of the work you do, college is expensive. It's valuable, but it's expensive. And really, I think what fueled my fire to really help more students is just having my own kids walk that journey. Um, And going back to what we talked about earlier in terms of the three to five careers, uh, yeah, three to five careers, nine to 11 jobs. Um, my oldest daughter, I didn't get right on the first try. She actually, her career assessments said marketing business and sort of like social work adoption counselor. And so she tried a school in business and marketing and she ended up switching and she's a social worker. She's graduating in two weeks. And so, you know, it's, uh, that was the joke. Gosh, the, the career coach didn't get it right. I was like, well, yes and no, because technically there's three to five options. It was within her top three. But, you know, I think to your point about go try it on with your students. Um, so uh, yes, high school students, I, I just, even our family friends, you know, I'm like, gosh, if your kids are even this much interested in something job shadow, job shadow, job shadow, job shadow. And I would still love, um, I know at least locally in central Pennsylvania, there's some schools that have really nailed that and some that are still working on that. But I think that's a huge benefit. doesn't cost anybody anything. Yes. Time, maybe a day from a professional. Um, I actually worked on a really cool project with an organization, um, that's sort of like a property management company in Harrisburg, where we actually just worked on building their brand and their pipeline. And they just hosted their first job shadow program formally with one particular school that was a huge success. And the employees there really seemed to enjoy it. But but in terms of how I work with students, yes, everything from let's job shadow, let's have a conversation. I have participated locally in lots of mock interviews at the high school or college level. Um, And then I do also on occasion offer workshops. What I have found is it's interesting that more and more people just want to work one-on-one. So I try to offer lots of 
different options at different price points for people. Um, but then I do work with high school students and college students walking through that Colby version with them, asking them questions that because I'm not mom or dad, they tend to sort of open up and I'm not an educator. My vantage point is I want you to be employable and a productive member of society. Ultimately, that's what we're aiming for. Right. <laughs> and I always tell people I do not have the magic eight ball, the magic crystal ball, but through our conversation and through some pointed exercises, I can point you in the right direction to say, you need to look at, and usually it's a list of, I would say anywhere from three to seven things to check out. Um, one, well, two really fun success stories. I would say they rate ranged in age, maybe 17 to 21 long story short over the last year. And they were just stuck. And at the end, through we did the assessments, we ended up getting, you know, them a resume, applied for a job, coached them. And, you know, the smile on their faces was like, you know, I know everybody having that resume, it feels so tangible, like, um, and I get it, everybody wants it. But yeah, so I have a couple different programs. Um, and then I do a debrief with the parents as well. So again, I am, don't proclaim to be you as the educator, but more, mm -hmm having worked in HR for all those years, and I'm still certified nationally in HR because I want to stay on top of what's going on so I can properly advise clients um, in that regard. And I may have gone off the rails on your question, Angela. No, that's <laughs> fine. And I, I want helping me get <laughs> Well, and I think that's what's so important that just the passion that you bring and that you certainly brought to Julie spoke to one of my classes that had juniors and seniors, they're getting ready to graduate. And they're like, we need to hear from someone to tell us, like, how do we talk when we get to school? We, what do we do about this and that? And, and you brought that energy and made it not seem so scary, oh, right? You. Like, oh, that, you know, you're already doing a lot of these things. And you talked about two things about the job shadowing. And I, I was thinking about that along with the, you didn't mention this, but I know you work with this too, is with internships and the yeah. idea of how those are really networking, right? And, oh my that, and encouraging yeah. students to do those informational interviews, try it on, try before you buy. So yeah. And it works both ways. It's really to the advantage of the employer too, because they're nervous about the relationship and um, yes, I am a firm believer. I have employed high schoolers as interns, even in my small business to help with marketing. I've had uh, college interns come help me at trade shows. I have an intern now um, from college as well, helping me with my marketing. And he just like dives right in and does it. And, you know, I'm a huge fan and advocate for our youth of trying things. And if it doesn't work, that's okay. And I actually had another um, in college intern who helped me with one specific digital marketing campaign when I was doing a lot of events. So, you know, it, it works both ways that they get to try things on and say, eh, not sure, fills a short-term need. Um, but I think employers really need to do more of that um, so that it, these students can see before they go in because nobody wants, I mean, students don't want to go into a job and out year after year and employers mm -hmm. hire someone, train them and have them leave. And, you know, I, I think when I'll say certain uh, employees or leaders make blanket statements, I think it's like anything else, right? Like you just can't stereotype one way or the other, but I have worked with a ton of smart students and I'm really grateful for that opportunity because I learned from them too. Yeah. I always, I feel that way every day. <laughs> they teach me so much. Absolutely. And 
Um, along those lines, talk about what are the big skills that employers mm -hmm. are looking for? And that was something I know my students were curious about. Like when they think of professionalism and professional skills, what are employers looking for? And I think this applies to students as well as adults that are interviewing in the work. Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes, yes, yes. So um, again, I do some retained recruiting work now with some small businesses and some larger nonprofits and, you know, just over my years of recruiting, I feel like they still boil down to uh, three or four of the same things. Um, there are very few professions where you don't have to have interpersonal skills and talk to people. You know, there's a couple I can think of where they're maybe not as people intense, like an actuary, right? Uh, an underwriter. But, you know, those interpersonal skills are huge. I think it, coupled with that, the, the verbal communication skills and the, the writing. Oh, my goodness. I, it just happened to me this morning. I was actually, so anytime I do recruiting, I email the candidate first to schedule the telephone interview. And they, they emailed back with all types of improper punctuation, grammar. And there's not, you know, I'm not recruiting. Most of the positions I recruit for in a professional environment. And I wanted to cancel the interview right there. But anyway, through our correspondence, she didn't want the pay. But I was like, oh my goodness, she can't even put her best foot forward in a full sentence and proper capitalization and punctuation, even if it's a two sentence, yes, I'm available. Thank you, comma, Julie. Um, it just caps up and down. So to the point of writing skills, again, you don't have to write like an attorney if you're not applying to be an attorney, but just simple, basic, grammatical, proofread. Um, that professional presence comes through in everything you do. I mean, I coach everyone who I am working with in job search mode. You are always on because you never know. You could be in line at the grocery store. You know, it could be a text. It could be a phone call, wh whatever. Um, but I think the interpersonal skills, the writing skills, um, the communication skills. And, and I think, you know, everyone says strong work ethic, but I think you demonstrate your conscientiousness by really being astute in every part of that interview process and showing that you're willing to learn. I don't, you know, I, some jobs, sure, maybe you need to be like 90% on every job. I say a good benchmark is about 80% you feel confident in the skill set and that you're excited about doing as well. So I think it still boils down to certainly technology plays a part depending on the role, but I think you can't, it's really hard to teach. I once had a business owner say, you know, sometimes I have to teach the people I hire manners and it's hard to do that. So I think just being a professional, you know, professional presence, be yourself, strong writing skills, strong verbal communication skills. Um, and eventually that emotional intelligence will come. That's, that's a big buzzword out there now as well. I promise you, Julie, I am working with my students on those writing skills. <laughs> I know you are. Skills. I, I just had to say to students last night, I have a class of uh, students that are not all communication students. They are across majors and we're working on assignment. And I, I had to say, my expectation is that this is your lab and you will practice good communication skills with this assignment and every Love answer it. will be in a complete sentence. And you realize it's just getting lost. They they don't have to practice that as often. And yeah. um, and so to me, it's and that's what I always tell them is I'm preparing you for work. I'm preparing you for those work emails, for those interview emails. 
because uh, it is missing. So I am so grateful that those are your top things that yeah. we need. No, I, I love that you do that. No, you're not going to accept the BRBs and the no. LOLs or, or whatever. In, in no emojis email. in your paper. <laughs> no hashtags. No, I don't want to see your meme unless the assignment calls for creating a meme. We do that sometimes. Correct. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That's great. Um, before we wrap up talking about students, I want I would love for you to talk about the role of volunteering and how that can Ooh. be a source of networking and help us get yeah. to that next job. I, I know my students really enjoyed you talking about that. Yes. No, that is like the best kept secret is to volunteer. And there's a couple different ways, depending on, you know, whomever's watching or listening, um, certainly volunteering outside of your skill set or within your skill set. There's um, two websites I often refer my folks to. One is volunteermatch.org, where you can volunteer for just like a one-off situation or like a Caitlin Smiles in our area. You can go there, pick up the information. But anyway, you're still interacting with people. Um, there's also a website called, I think it's called catchafire.org, where you can volunteer in a professional capacity. But yeah, volunteering is like an instant, easy way to meet people. And it doesn't, you know, the conversation just flows because you're there for a purpose and, and an intention versus, you know, you're, you're really focusing on serving others rather than serving yourself. And a natural byproduct of that is volunteering. And the other piece, I don't know if I mentioned with your class, Angela, was, you know, especially if you are volunteering on a regular basis, there could be a lot of retired folks who has the most robust networks on the planet, folks that have been had these wonderful careers, you know, for many years. So, so anyway, yeah, volunteering, I think is huge. And I always encourage people to do something they're interested in because it's going to make it easier. And, and that goes back to something we talked about a few minutes ago in that the whole networking thing is learning to just be yourself and have conversations in a way that's comfortable for you. And it's very different for everyone. And I spend mm -hmm. a lot of time helping my folks strategize, you know, what would work best for them and make them feel comfortable. Yeah. And I'm thinking when we're volunteering, what a great opportunity to just be yourself, right? We're, we're doing something. Sure. I feel like we're usually doing something physically active and interacting with others. So we're not thinking so much about what's my elevator pitch, right? right. This isn't the time for the elevator pitch. This isn't the time to just have conversations no. that can lead to the next thing. And I'm teaching a class right now that uh, another professor designed this assignment and um, he has students volunteer as part of a public relations class. Oh. And and so they have to do so many volunteer hours, but then we have them create marketing materials and public relations materials that that organization can use. So it leads to the students having a body of work they can add to their portfolio as well. That, That's you know, whether the organization uses their press release or their social posts, mm -hmm. it, it doesn't matter. They've done the work and they can give it right. to them. And what I've, of course, what happens is that students feel really good because they have all these pieces, but it, I've just been getting emails. They just wrapped up this assignment. I'm getting these emails like, I'm so grateful for this assignment. This was, you know, soul work. Like I didn't know I was going to feel good about taking this class. Right? And they're, they're coming to the end of the semester and they're feeling the, that feeling we get when we contribute to something bigger than ourselves. So yeah. what better way to like, oh, I'm networking to, I'm going to volunteer to network to hopefully get to my next job, or maybe I don't have a job right now. So I'm going right. to spend my time volunteering with this agenda. Yeah. But you realize like, oh, no, I'm showing up in service. So when we show up in service, I just think magic can really happen. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and it takes for people who are overly nervous about it, it really takes the pressure off because you mm -hmm. should. And if, again, it is in it is in the season too, right? It is in giving that we shall receive. Mm -hmm. And it really, that's 
really what happens you know, when you shift the focus for how can I help you? And in fact, that's one of the closing scripts I often encourage my people to use is after you're doing, you know, gathering your information, having your conversation is you've been so helpful. What can I do for you? Is there some, you know, something you're curious about or something I could do to help you? So, um, you know, I, I, it really is that two way back and forth and it may not be now, it may not be immediate. Um, I'll just tell you real fast, Angela, I know we're might be tight on time, but I once had a client a couple of years ago who, she was in job search mode sort of quietly and someone who met her four years prior remembered her and came back to her and said, you were so impressive, Emily, that, you know, I have this position now and I'd love for you to come meet our team and interview. And, and literally that's what happened. She interviewed, they threw the job posting up, you know, two days after her, and I'm paraphrasing, like her third interview, just because it's policy, and then she had the job offer. So that's another reason why networking yeah. is so important, because it's mm -hmm. proactive versus being reactionary. Yeah, Fantastic. All right, so we're going to take another short break, 30 seconds, and when we come back, we're going to talk about one of the things that Julie and I love to talk about, and that's how we juggle all of it uh. as working parents. <laughs> <laughs> we will be right back. This episode of Digital EDU Dialogues is brought to you by the BAB Group. The demands for teaching and online learning are constantly evolving. Don't get left behind. Carve out a competitive edge and give students engaging learning experiences with support from the BAB Group's team of course design experts. As experienced online faculty and instructional designers, the BAB Group knows how to craft those aha moments for students and meet outcomes for every modality, online, hybrid, and face-to-face. -face. Creating engaging, welcoming, and inclusive learning spaces for students of all ages and abilities has never been more important. Discover how the BAB Group can help you by visiting their website today. I am Angela Bricher, and I'm back with Julie Shore, the founder of Career Development Advisors. And we're going to talk about one of our favorite topics, how to juggle all of this while being working parents. And I know for me, when I've had career transitions, that's like my first thought is, wait, you know, you think about how am I going to pay the mortgage or how am I going to take care of this family? And so we, I tend to limit myself right? Because it's like, oh, yikes, but I have to think about these things. So when you are working with your clients, how do you help them navigate those challenges when they're thinking about their families? Right, right. So I think it, it goes down to the values that I mentioned really early in our conversation today, Angela, that if I have people tell me their number one priority is whatever, work-life balance or time with family, but they're worried about making X dollars, but they don't need to make X amount of dollars, then it's like, wait, 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 we go back. I literally type it up. That's like something I, it's the pillar of my career coaching. And they're like, and they'll laugh and be like, oh, that's right. I did say that, you know, money's not as important or where the money is, you know, significant and, you know, how, how do you juggle it all? It's, well, let's explore different options, you know, especially since COVID that has been one of the blessings I would say not everyone will agree with me for working parents. And I say that because I did it 21 years ago when it wasn't cool and it wasn't a thing and it wasn't acceptable. I walked away from my corporate job and did the juggle of the part-time consulting stuff in the evenings or when kids were napping or whatever. And my kids grew up knowing, shh, mom's on an interview, you know, shh. And, and now, you know, people can be have a lot more freedom for, you know, the doorbell ringing, the dog working, all that good stuff. But it was totally not okay 21 years ago. And so I would say, A, there's certainly options for moms or dads or, you know, 
working parents in that it's uh, a lot, the right organizations will be more focused on outcomes and results rather than, okay, are you wiggling your mouse at 7.30 and wiggling it again at 12 and 3.30, right? So I think you have to be clear as the professional or the worker, what do you want and what's your value proposition? And then if you're good at what you do, you're going to find, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And you'll make it work. And um, the only other thing I'll say is, you know, that flexibility, again, if you can manage to those results and flexibility is something you value, you can make it work and you can command the fees or the income, you know, based on your experience. I think that's such a great reassurance for people. I've certainly lived that life working from home way before it was cool. I've been at home for 14 years and worked on virtual teams that long and uh, and even, you know, along with parenting, I think another thing a lot of people are dealing with is being that sandwich generation, right? Uh, yeah. Where we're caretaking adults too. I remember working from home, my daughter's at school, I'm like, sweet, I've got all day. And my dad would be driving through my town and was at an age where he would have to make regular pit stops and he would stop in my house and I'd be in a virtual meeting and he'd yell like, hey, honey, I'm just here to use your bathroom <laughs> in a meeting with, you know, a team in Amsterdam. I'm like, oh, that's just my dad. <laughs> yes. Yes. No, I even put signs on my door sometimes, you know, it's like training in progress, meeting in progress, because mm -hmm. you're right. You're right. And um, to your earlier point of, you know, how do you see that broader perspective? I'll just tell you real quick, when I walked away from corporate America in 2006, I, I was spinning my wheels, and I'm supposed to know how to do this. You know, I worked in HR, I was a recruiter, but all my brain went to because I worked for PricewaterhouseCoopers, PwC at the time, was like big global organizations. And I was like, I couldn't see anything but what I knew. And same thing with the clients that I have the pleasure of partnering with is they only see what they know. And so I have so much fun. I really feel like I have the best job in the world where I get to open people's eyes or at least ask questions. And they're like, oh, I never thought that I could transfer, you know, my marketing skills to healthcare over from insurance or, you know, vice versa. Uh, you said something uh, a few minutes ago about this idea of kind of giving some things up. And it was something that you had said something similar to me about this uh, when we saw each other over the winter. And it was um, about this idea, like, do I have to work so much? And oh, right. was I willing to give things up? So I'm wondering if you could share, we'll kind of wrap up here with, if you could share your journey about being an entrepreneur, managing a busy family, and what are your best practices for making it all work? How's it work for your I'm family? I'm still trying to figure that out, truth be told. But I think when you can be okay, for me, I'll just say, uh, you know, I was a relentless people pleaser. Still maybe a little, but still working on boundaries, right? But I think when you succumb to the fact that you can't be everything to everyone equally all the time or you'll burn out and giving yourself the okay to do that, that's for me when, you know, it it makes it better, I'll say, not always all okay. And learning to let go of things as a working mom. Um, I may have shared with you like my laundry yes, you can assign your kids tasks and all of that, but that used to drive me crazy. But guess what? We have laundry folding parties once a week now and it's in my basement and the door is shut and I don't see it because I have to focus on other more important things. And I think giving yourself the grace too, that if you decide to set a schedule a particular way or focus on one thing for these next three months, it's okay. You can change it in three more months that, you know, your schedule has to ebb and flow. At least mine does with the seasons of my kids' life and the literal seasons of the year. And it's okay. 
not just because I'm an entrepreneur when I worked with other folks too, that was my number one value is flexibility if I were to work with them. And they honored that. And so I think that's where, again, it, you have to be really clear about what your non-negotiables are and setting boundaries. So, you know, the whole reason we work is so we can have lives and spend time with those we love, right? And so you don't want to be miserable the whole way around. So I think, you know, you just have to be okay with um, defining priorities and, and boundaries, which I know for me is just ever evolving. <laughs> yes, yes, it is always evolving. And I think especially as our as our children age and grow. Julie, anything else you want to share with us today about these you know, walking through the career transitions of life? Yeah, I mean, the only thing I will say, and I share this with you know, potential clients, clients I work with is, you know, if you have thought about making a change, whether it's just a job, a career, your hours, whatever it is, you make your circumstances better. I'd say once, twice, three times, you owe it to yourself to kind of dig into that a little bit better uh, with a friend, a family member, journal, write it down, um, you know, a girlfriend, whatever, because it's probably not going to go away. You you can ignore it. And um, last Last closing breath, I was interviewing a former client of mine and I asked her why she took a particular job over the course of her career. And she said, you know, I just decided she's very point blank. She's like, I just decided that if I died tomorrow and hadn't tried, I would be very upset. So I just had to try. And, you know, that has stuck with me again, a learning from a client of mine. It's like, will you regret not trying, not not giving a try? And, mm -hmm. you know, my two final words I said fine already, but, you know, two final mantras that I really try to myself live by and I work with clients on is, you know, life's about choices and you have to focus on what you can control. And if you don't ask, the answer is always no. So there you have it. <laughs> Excellent. Julie, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. The Digital EDU Dialogues podcast is brought to you by the Aducity family of companies.